Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with LA-based jazz drummer, composer, educator, and band leader, Tina Raymond. She opened up about her new 2023 CD, Divinations, COVID Survival, and so much more. On her newest release, she leads her trio through a set of new and original compositions that showcases her stellar musicianship and broad musical imagination. Originally from Detroit, these days she is a unique voice in the contemporary improvised music scene, blending traditional jazz vocabulary with African polyrhythm and classical percussion technique. She's got a great story. Enjoy this interview. Hi, Tina. How are you? I'm great. Great to meet you. Thanks for taking a minute out today. Yeah, of course. Thank you. So before we get into the latest album, Divinations, I want to know, COVID was quite a deal for the jazz community and for musicians. And I'm Mm -hmm. curious how you got through that time period and how it's changed you now that we're in this post-pandemic era of our lives. Great questions. Um, I actually started a new job fall of 2020. So I exited my teaching job at Los Angeles City College um, spring 2020 and then started as the director of jazz studies at Cal State Northridge um, that fall. And it was completely online the whole year. So it was it was for sure the most challenging year of my life as an educator and as a musician and as a human being, um, all those things. You know, it, I did not navigate. I did not sign up to to navigate running an online jazz school, um, which is what I ended up doing for a year and and like mixing layered big band charts. You know, um, it was just bizarre. Um, musically. Um, that was also really, really difficult. There were a, a few people that I was able to play with through that. Um, but for the most part, it was doing these layering projects, which, um, I'm sure you've talked to lots of people that have done lots of those. Um, and a, a band that I'm in, a thesis quartet, started in COVID. We started by, um, just getting together to talk about what we were doing compositionally and then started sending our compositions around to each other to record and layer and did some free pieces that way too, just free improvisations where we layered together. Um, and then that band kind of was birthed um, strange time in our lives. So um, it, I, I honestly, I don't know that I've ever been more busy with teaching um, than through the pandemic, um, just because it kind of seemed like the students needed their teachers to be available 24-7 and, and so much online content takes so much time. Um, I was just constantly at my computer for like a year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) So to have a new album come out now, especially with the world waking up, live music happening, how does it feel? It feels really joyful. Um, You know, last year was really the experience of what I had signed up to do, teaching in person and all concerts and everything was in person. We got to travel. I took, you know, bands to New Orleans and, and my, my touring and playing has kicked back up. Um, and this music, it, it really, to me, just feels really joyful and really whimsical. Um, and it feels really good to have creative ideas that I've carved out space and time to nurture. Um, it just feels really joyful. Talk to me about how you artistically put this together, this release. In L.A., I live in a, an area called Burbank, and then um, the bass player on the record 
Kamakamas Reichel lives about 10 minutes away in an area called Studio City. And then Andrew Renfro also had moved to Burbank last summer. And so we were all really close and um, had booked some shows together as a trio and were able to get together to play. I mean, sometimes when you're playing with people in L.A., they can live, you know, an hour away from you and trying to do rehearsals is just not worth it. But to have people so close and it was summer, so our schedules were lighter. We were able to get together and play a bit and just see how we felt as a group. Um, and I had these tarot decks laying around. A friend of mine through the pandemic got really into tarot card reading and she had just visited. And so I had these tarot decks laying around. I was like, well, let's do an improvisation on one of these tarot cards. And so we each like picked a card and then did an improvisation on that. And I thought that it was just such a fun, um, out of the box creative process to, to use some other, um, visual than, you know, it, it, almost like a graphic score um, for a launching point for creativity. And so that got me back to um, writing music and, and using the tarot cards as that kind of launching point. Each of the pieces on this record is based off of a different tarot card. So talk to me a little bit about what you hope the listener gets from this album. Um, I hope that they just get the essence of... Um, what each card is is trying to express. Um, it's like the first piece is is um, from a prairie deck that depicts a hawk swooping through the air and moving really flexibly. And I think that that piece is it should feel like flying. And um, you know, each piece just has I, what I think is a very strong emotional pull um, to whatever energetic. Um, expression I was trying to go for. And I, I hope that they tap into that, you know, like the emperor is supposed to embody this kind of um, uncompromising authority. And like, what does that sound like? And that you can kind of get into the embodiment of that character as you're listening to each piece. Um, it, it should be kind of a whimsical journey, but it's also like the music is, I think, really listenable. Um, it's not overly complicated. You can tap your foot through each tune um, I think it's just a really fun, easy listen. Talk to me a little bit about how this journey into jazz began for you. Where were you born and raised, and how did these seeds become who you are? <laughs> All right. Uh, born and raised in Metro Detroit. Started playing drums initially in concert band. At, like, you know, when you're in um, elementary school, public elementary school in a Detroit suburb, you could pick an instrument, and they do fundamental methods on that. Um picked drums. I had braces and my sister played the flute and she told me that I should play drums so that I don't have to worry about um, pain of playing a wind instrument. And and then from there, started playing drum set at about 13 and studying with a local drum set uh, player who played in the community big bands within the town I grew up in. Um, so then I started playing drum set uh, in the Farmington Community Jazz Band. My first gig was for a Retirement Center Valentine's Day dinner dance playing Glenn Miller and, um, you know, a lot of dance band standards from the 30s and 40s. Um, and then from there, I would go to uh, Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp and did their jazz um, bands and studied with a the drummer there, Tim Frontek, um, who played in Dan Kenton briefly. Was also involved in the Detroit Youth Symphony Jazz Orchestra that was directed by Marcus Belgrave. Um, that was an incredible experience to work with such a legendary Detroit figure. Um, 
and um, played in every kind of musical context I could. In school, was in um, band, orchestra, marching band, drumline, winter drumline. Um, also did some youth symphony work in Detroit with the Metropolitan Symphony and the Detroit Youth Symphony. Just obsessed with hitting things. Uh, and then did my undergrad in um, double performance in classical percussion and jazz studies at um, Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, where I studied with John Von Olin, um, who was a drummer for Stan Kenton and Woody Herman, um, and just a really character of a, of a human being. Um, very interesting guy. Um, we talked a lot about gravity and naturalness in our lessons rather than um, bebop vocabulary and transcriptions. It was like a very philosophical teaching experience working with him. Um, and also another drum set teacher there, Art Gore, um, who had gone to Berkeley and studied with Alan Dawson um, and is a Cincinnati just legend. Um, but John Von Olin also taught Jeff Hamilton. So I was able to meet Jeff Hamilton through John, um, took some lessons with Jeff. And by the time I was done, at Cincinnati, I was I was kind of ready to put the classical percussion studies away and really focus on jazz and drum set. And um, knew I wanted to move um, to L.A., but knew that my parents weren't going to support me unless I was getting a degree. Um, and Jeff wasn't teaching at a school at that time, so I asked Jeff, you know, where can I study in L.A.? And who can I study with at a school and still be able to take lessons with you? Um, and he said, the only place you can go and the only person you can study with is at CalArts with Joe LaBarbera um, and still take lessons with me because they have um, complementary um, concepts behind the drum sets. That, you know, sometimes you study with one teacher and they have a very different concept and then you go to the other teacher and they're like, well, this is how I do it. And then it's just a conflict. Um, so he's trying to avoid that. So I went to CalArts. Um, and did my master's up there and just had my brain blown open. Um, that place is such a wonderful opportunity for students to nurture their creativity um, in a really powerful way through world music classes and contemporary improv classes. I got to take a class on the spirituality of improvisation with Charlie Hayden, um, West African drumming classes from a Ghanaian Awe chief um, composition class with um, Wadada Leo Smith, and one semester he was on sabbatical, so Don Moye taught the class. I mean, it was just a really creative and interesting environment, and a lot of really interesting students were also there at that time, some really great musicians, Kathleen Pineda, um, Dan Rosenboom, um, just some really, some really interesting people to make music with there, too. It's a very strong community that's very present in L.A. Um, I still work with a lot of those people. Um, but then graduated from CalArts. Um, I had been working a lot with um, a saxophonist who teaches up there, Vinny Golia. Um, I play with him regularly, and he he recommended me to play in Bobby Bradford's ensemble. So I'm on. I've been playing with Bobby for the better part of ten to twelve years. I'm on his last record, the Suite. Um, that's a tribute to Jackie Robinson, um, and I've kind of just worked through the LA scene while I've been here, um, trying to piece it together. Started, you know teaching at local high school programs and, and jazz outreach and playing gigs, um, taught yoga for a while to kind of supplement my income, um, and then gradually got some some better, more established teaching gigs in the same way that the the performing gigs are, you know, they're they're 
moving up as well. You know, it's um, it's been a, a ladder climb, one rung at a time out here. It feels. So, what is the best part of being a professional musician for you? What do you look forward to the most? There's all these aspects: teaching, recording, playing live, all of these things, promoting. But what do you look forward to the most? I love the moment at the end of a, a song and a performance where the audience kind of just makes a, a sound of recognition of a shared feeling um, that we've been able to touch someone on a human level without using words, I think is really, really powerful and what being a human is about. So what kind of culture shock was it for you to go from Detroit to L.A.? How, how did all that transpire? I think Detroit to L.A. might have been an easier transition than Detroit to Cincinnati, to be honest. Um, The culture shock from Detroit to Cincinnati was a lot. I did not understand as an 18-year-old kid who grew up in a very multicultural, very diverse community um, how southern Cincinnati really was, Um, you know red state across from a red state. It's right down at the Ohio River, right across from Kentucky. Um, And when I moved down there, like, you could still smoke in restaurants in Ohio and Kentucky, and um, it was just so southern. A lot of sexism, a lot of racism. There had been race riots there in 2001. I started studying up there in 2004. Um, That was shocking to me. Um. Then moving out to L.A., L.A. is is a bubble in the sense that people are very open-minded. Um, it, it's, it feels much like less of a struggle to be out here. I mean, I've been here, out here now 15 years, too, so um, people know who I am. There's less of this, like, oh, you're a girl. You play the drums. How strange. Like, people know who I am out here, and so it's like, of course, Tina plays the drums, and she's great. Um, where in Cincinnati, it, it did constantly feel like I had to prove myself or that the audiences were not accepting of what I was doing, that I was this sort of novelty act rather than a, a sincere um, artistic person. Um, the, I would say the, the one culture shock, though, moving west from the Midwest is... is um, the passive aggressive quality of communication here sometimes um, where people don't necessarily tell you exactly how they feel. Um, They'll just be nice. And then you can kind of deduce by their actions down the road, how they really feel. You know, if you never get called again, it's like, Oh, you actually maybe didn't enjoy playing with me or maybe you didn't, you just forgot, you know, Um, but that passive aggressive quality took some getting used to. I, I don't know that it's a bad thing. I think that it's actually a very respectful and polite way to, move through the world sometimes. Um, but that was, that it took some getting used to, to, to realize that people are not going to be totally upfront and honest with you out here. In all of the live shows that you've witnessed, what was the most instrumental one? What was the one that really made you say, man, I want to do that someday. Or if you were a student really studying what was going on. Um, I would say it was a recording um, Terry Gibbs Dream Band, the piece is called The Fuzz. Um, it's this big band chart that's super exciting. Um, and I used to just blast that in my Jeep going to rehearsals down um, the Lodge Freeway in Detroit, um, 
just so excited about music. And then I got to work with Terry Gibbs at Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp one summer and, and talk with him and talk about his career. And he's a very animated person, especially at that time. This was, you know, um, over 20 years ago. Um, and, and to hear his music live with a big band was so exciting to me um, at that time. Terry was hysterical when he called me the first time to do the interview. Yeah. He, he said, you got to get my book before we, before we talk. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And we, we were born on the same day. There was all these little things. Awesome. Uh, but his, but his stories about Benny Goodman were just hysterical. Like the fact that he called everybody pops. I mean, he had some really good stories about everybody. You know? I believe I, I it. I believe it. Day. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. So speaking of Terry and kind of this golden era that's, that, that existed that really pulled a lot of people into the jazz realm. If you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see anybody perform, where are you going? Who do you want to see? Oh my gosh. I don't know. That's it. That's so, that's so difficult. Um, I mean, of course, I think everybody would have loved to have seen Duke, you know, and his bands in the twenties, um, playing in Harlem. Um, any of those guys in, in Harlem, the, Stride pianist, man. I actually think if if I was going to go hang with a crew, I think the twenty stride pianists like Fats Waller, James P. Johnson, Willie the Lion Smith. I feel like they must have had the most fun. <laughs> I agree. Um, yeah. But I mean, nineteen fifty nine. I mean, man, to have been alive that year and all the music that was going on then. Um, I would have loved to have seen Ornette. And Don Cherry, I would have loved to have seen that band. Um, there's so like there's so many peaks throughout the history. I don't think I don't think you can say one just because they're all so different. You know, you talked about what kind of a jolt it was to go to Cincinnati, and and I'm curious if you were to have a dream tonight, and you were to run into that you know 18 to 20 year old version of yourself and give that version of you a piece of advice based on the life you've led and the wisdom you've gained, what would you tell that young version of you? And would that version of you listen? I don't know if the version of me from then would have listened, but I would have told her it won't be like this forever and you don't have to stay. Um, I think I could have left Cincinnati sooner um, and might have been happier. Although, I mean, again, like the people that I did get to study with in Cincinnati were really special. I mean, in the classical program too, I studied with these three percussionists from Percussion Group Cincinnati, um, Alan Adi, Rusty Burge, and Jim Cully. And between those three and the two drum set teachers, like I had such a community of, of amazing percussionists around me that had I gone anywhere else, like that influence wouldn't be in my playing. Um, so I think maybe ultimately it's just, it won't be like this forever would have been the main message. Everyone out there has a perception of you, family, friends, fans, but you ultimately run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Um, I think I'm a really hard worker. Um, I, I try to move through everything that I'm doing with integrity and care. I try to think of every detail, um, probably to the point of micromanagement, trying to get better at that. Um, 
certainly a workaholic, <laughs> um, but I love it, you know. Um, I think I saw somewhere a quote that um, the, ex- the expression of, of good work is through love, you know, like if you love what you're doing, the work kind of flows from you. Well said, yeah, that's great. So if anyone out there wants to pick up the new album, best place to go and to find out about live shows, anything presenting your world, where can they go? TinaRaymond.com for show information. Um, and I think it's Raymond. Is that right or is it my name? And then the Bandcamp link um, for the record. I'll put it in, or, the, show. Okay. I'll put, I'll put it in the show notes. Great. And um, Imani Records, it will be on that website as well. Wonderful, Tina. This has been great. Hey, thank you for opening up. Thanks for your story. Best of luck with this album and the live shows as the world opens up. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in L.A., Detroit, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Tina for her time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, you can find Neon Jazz interviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.